0: Welcome to Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, the podcast where nostalgia comes alive. Since July of 2021, Jake and his friends have interviewed professionals in the worlds of acting, directing, writing, puppeteering, and many more. Who will they be chatting with in this week's interview? Find out in this Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show episode.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show, where nostalgia comes alive. I'm your host, Jake Devin and And today, as always, our co hosts, Chris McSpee and Matt Bingle. How you guys doing? Good.
0: We're good, Jake. How are you? you I'm doing, doing great.
1: I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Wonderful. Chris, yes. what do we have for today?
0: Our guest today, very excited. He is a voice actor who uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fans, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fans, know him as the voice of Krang, Casey Jones, Baxter Stockman, and various others. He's also voiced characters on G.I. Joe uh denver the last dinosaur bobby's world um he's filled in for tim allen as buzz lightyear on a few different toy story projects which we'll talk about that and some other things he's done as well and here he is pat fraley pat happy to have you here
2: i'm pleased to be here chris
0: awesome fantastic awesome Awesome. so so to kick things off we know who you are but even though i kind of did already in your own words would you care to introduce yourself and what you do
2: Well, you know, I do Ducks, Dogs, and Villains, The Voices. That's pretty much it. Hundreds of cartoons. And, um, you know, it's not by chance. Well, it's God's plan. I didn't know that when I started. But um, I was always exaggerated. And uh, I even went to Australia to do more Shakespeare because, get this, I had an agent that said, well, you're light on Shakespeare. You don't hear that anymore. So I'm over in Australia and I go in, I'm doing a couple commercials and doing cartoon voices and stuff. I'm not cartoon voices, but I was doing big characters. I was doing a lot of Paul in. <laughs> I loved him over there. And um, a producer said, oh, we like you. And I said, why? He said, oh, you're so big. We can't get the other actors to be that big. And I thought, oh, there it is. You know, all I want to do is perform. I guess I should probably do what? Cartoons. And within a couple of years, I was in Los Angeles doing cartoons ever since. It's been about 45 years. Awesome. Wow. (laughs) No, I really don't want to introduce myself where I don't have anything to say, except perhaps I'll share this with you, uh, Chris and Matt and Jake, is that my career was sort of like the sum is more than the parts. Like two plus two equals five. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I'm just me. I was just Pat. But i create something, and it was better than I was. So in a sense, I worshipped what I created. Uh, until later, I realized I can't take credit for anything. Even genes don't uh, describe what I did, but uh, and I I use the past tense because I'm in a business that you don't retire from; they retire or it retires you. Mm. When I was young, uh, when we got somebody over fifty, I went, "What's that old guy doing here?" (laughs) Yeah, you you just—it's amazing because you know uh, on camera. Uh, actors and uh, people on stage, they lie about their height and their age. In my business, it's only age. (laughs) Who cares? Doas Butler, the greatest cartoon voice of all time, even better than uh, uh, Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was very dynamic, but uh, Doas was a very good actor. Huckleberry Hound, uh, Yogi Bear, the jetsons he did so many flintstones and he was like four eleven. he was a teeny guy
0: wow uh, that's oh awesome God. awesome
2: yeah so what was your background like and how did you grow up i grew up um at the age four i was doing what i do now i perform and teach I was a kid that they loved to shoot playing army because I died so well. You know, a <laughs> guy and arch my back and they go, oh yeah, how do you do that? Okay, well, you know, you arch your back and you foam a little here and say, Ach, von Libor, something German. <laughs> so it's really uh, I'm really uh doing what I've always done. I grew up around the deaf, and really I always say the deaf taught me how to act. If you've been around deaf, they are so exaggerated in what they say, you know. And uh, my mom grew up around the deaf because my grandfather was a superintendent of deaf schools in uh, North Dakota and Idaho. And she was very exaggerated. So my journey is being less exaggerated for film and for theater. Theater, they want a little bit more. So I was good there. But film, I have to come down, not up. Mm. So, uh-huh. you know, uh, Nancy Wolfson, who's a friend of mine and a teacher, she was my agent, she uh, grew up around a, uh, a ranch. And she would say, you can rope them in, you can't rope them out. <laughs> and so what I learned was if I exaggerated a role, I can bring it down. But I couldn't mm. start with a subtle performance right Matter of fact right. Su- uh, i think i don't think subtlety is in my language to tell you the truth <laughs> can't do it the pilot light goes off when i do check off <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how you were inspired to get into voiceover
2: i told you I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, no i'm you know i'm a teacher you get right you know, but uh I was, I went to, I went through college and then got a master of fine arts in acting at Cornell. Then I moved to Australia to do theater. I'd done 50 plays or 45 at that time. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I realized, well, theater or, or uh, film is not my forte. And and then I was told I exaggerated, and I embraced it. And I found cartoons were all at that time very exaggerated, so it was a, a slam dunk. I went back to my hometown of Seattle, spent a couple uh, years as a creative director in an ad agency, and made money. So I came down with about ten grand, which is about a hundred now. This is 1979. So uh, the trick was I'd go to lunch with these guys because these guys would, you know, um, Denny Dark and Bob Ridgely and these old guys are all dead now. they go, hey, uh, how about lunch? Because they'd work in the afternoon or morning and then the afternoon. they, i go, yeah, sure. I didn't have to go wait a table because I had money. It took me three years to get a regular role. I was a guest on a lot of stuff. But... Uh, that's the trick I use. I had money when I mm-hmm. came down to LA, and I always tell people I didn't come down for the palm trees. You guys are in Maryland, and what? Oh, uh, uh, Chris, you're in uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah. Well, you know, I've seen some of the most beautiful places in the world. You know, Nepali Coast, Bora Bora, uh, in the Tishnare, Malaysia, in the island of Penang, but. I don't, you know, L.A., dude, you know. But I I came for the work. I mean, I have a ranch in Idaho, except they don't hire people to do ducks. They have real ducks. (laughs) Definitely.
3: Very true, very true. So, growing up, did you
2: have any favorite cartoons to watch? No. You know, Saturday morning was the deal then. Up to about 1983, when it was after school, that's when we made yeah. a lot of money. Because the, the the buy, we used to be like fruit picking. You, you'd uh, do a Scooby-Doo. There were 13 shows. So you were done. You'd start about May. You were done June. And then it was reruns all year round. Then you go to work again. But in 1983, He-Man just killed the numbers. And I, I can't remember, seven point something, I don't know. And so everybody hopped on the trade-out. They did all the stuff in trade-out, 120 shows. It went from 12 or 13 to 120. And everyone was on, you know, Glow Friends and Ninja Turtles and He-Man, all these things, all the filmation stuff brave star through 120 and they paid out in advance in those days. It was about 1200 bucks. I don't know what it is now, but dude, we were rolling. I mean, millions. Yeah. You know, Individuals wow. and doing shows and the shows didn't take much time at filmation because they did everything here, even the, uh, the sales. So they'd do a show for a quarter of a million or something like that. And um, they'd go to these stations and they they were the 11 and 13s of the day before, uh, you know, all all the other ones uh, came along. Oh, dear. And uh, they'd say, how would you like to have a show that's really popular for free? And they go, yeah. Okay, all you have to do is trade some time So they bartered time from these 11 and 13s. Then they went around and sold the time to people who wanted to have commercials on. So they made bank too. Everyone was happy. Wow.
1: Yeah. I could tell. So I'm kind of curious. Do you remember what your first voice was?
2: Yeah. Um. I think it was Scooby-Doo Goes Hollywood. And there, oh, was a rag- yeah, yeah. oh. there was a rag at that time called Variety Magazine and that was it. If you were in Variety, you were on the map, right? Mhm. Uh, it reviewed what I did or the, the the show Scooby-Doo Goes Hollywood with a line set that said Scooby-Doo do-doo. <laughs> It was really bad. and I, I don't know. I was a guest mall guard. Right just way, Mr. Dew. Scooby-Doo. Where are, I can't do a kid now. Where are you? You know, I just did right. guest roles. Because they had you for three voices for the price of one contract in those days. So you did three voices before you got another contract. And I don't know. We got about 500 350 to 500 something like that, a show. That was the first thing I did. Then I did... The Blue Scarab, which was a, a Scooby-Doo, around the same time. i don't teach you to meddle in my affairs. You always had to say meddle. Mm, you know yeah. what I'm saying, scooby you, you meddlers. You know, they always put it in. Mm-hmm. And th- those were the first things I did, and I was just aghast. And uh, later, the guy who discovered me in Tahiti on vacation... He probably said, look, if you'll stop doing Paul Lindahl, I'll, I'll listen to your audition. So I got <laughs> back. He, he said, I listened. If you were here, I, I would I would uh, call you in on an audition. Well, I was there within weeks with a new wife. I got married and came down to L.A. And I said to Don Church, this is Don Church, a producer at hanna Barbera. why didn't you hire me so much? And he went, well, I felt really guilty because you arrived with this new wife. And I thought, well, that's good. There's there's a reason. And he introduced me to the best agent in town. At that time, it was Herb Tannen. And, um, you know, later I thought, well, gee, a producer from Hanna Barbera calls an agent and says, this guy's good. Well, hello. You know, he's going to make money. So that's how I started. Nice.
0: Nice. Now, on the subject of uh, voice roles, of course, some that you're most known for are voicing. As I mentioned in the uh, introduction, Krang, Casey Jones, Baxter Stockman, and various others in the 80s TMNC series. What what was it like working on that?
2: Excuse me. I'd like to say, Chris, it's Lord Krang to you, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I replaced a director who had cast himself in four major roles in the pilot and he recorded on Saturday. Now that irritated Fred Wolf, the producer, because he was, let's call Fred Wolf frugal, right? He was really cheap. So he was mad and he called me in and the director said, well, how about Pat Fraley and he called me in. Gave me a script and I thought teenage mutant ninja turtles, oh this'll go nowhere with a stupid title like that. <laughs> and uh then I did Krang, and I just kind of threw it against the wall. Now I'd learned how to talk backwards in uh grade school. I owe you when you say it. You know. <laughs> then I thought, well, at the end, he's a burbling blob of a brain, but funny. So I thought, well, you know, I'll talk backwards afterwards no they'll never let me do that i have to do it on a word so every so often i would use the back word where did that come from i had four little boys at that time four boys in five years and i'd get mad at them i'll go you just do that and i'd get heartburned so heartburn. Burns are like that. So I thought, well, I'll talk backwards. And that became part of Crane. Then they also said, but funny. Now let me see if you can get this. This is what I get for surrounding myself with idiots. Now, what, if you scrape off all that stuff on you, eh? <laughs> right? This yeah. is what I get for surrounding myself with idiots. I was a Jewish mother. Because they say things and it's always funny. And no one ever knew. Because, you know, if you said something like, oh, I'm doing a Jewish mother, they'd, you know, fire you or make you change it or something. I never told them what I was doing. Uh, The the director would say, don't go low on that that word. She called it low because I was talking backwards. (laughs) She never knew.
0: Yeah, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a good show. I have uh, family members who grew up with it as well as me.
2: It's yeah, and show. I lowered your IQ by about 10 points, by the way. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, so so the show went on for, for quite a number of years. Uh, do you yeah. have any favorite TMNT episodes?
2: You know, I've only seen about six. I'm mm. like... A, a plumber, you know, he goes in and gets paid to change a cistern. He's probably got the worst toilet in the city. It's not like a mechanic, the worst car because you're working. I was busy making them, so I didn't watch them. When I'm when right. I'm old, I am old, but when I get older, if I do, I'll probably be able to sit there and watch show after show. At one point, I was on literally all day long in different shows. Like eight or nine shows that were on when, when cable came in. Boomerang and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, right, I, right. I never watched mm-hmm. them. I, I like doing um, one called... Uh, gosh. I played a fish with a leather jacket. And I, was, I got to do my bad Martin Brando. I can't remember the name of it, but I like that. I like doing it. I loved doing it. We... If you heard the the, the uh, outtakes, you'd die. They were so funny and rude, Uh-oh. but uh-huh. you don't hear them. And, you know, we didn't have time for that, but we did have time to make jokes and fool around. And so I, I adored it. And I certainly got the idea of why is that actor in that bad movie? It doesn't matter. You have a good time. Who cares? exactly yeah the the movie stinks but you had a good time
0: yeah of course that's what matters
2: yeah you're you're talking about the craft service table and uh the funny part of somebody doing something stupid you know doesn't matter and yeah, really (laughs) exactly in the the day you could not choose one cartoon show and let another one go most of us couldn't Maybe Frank Walker and some of the luminaries could go and all pass on this, but we never did. I mean, I did Little Clowns of Happy Town. That's the worst cartoon show ever. <laughs> but you know, that's the way it is. Yeah. But every so often yeah. you get a Brave Star, or you get a, the Tick, the funny show I ever did, uh, or Ninja Turtles, which is a is a cultural success and makes a lot of money. You know. Mm-hmm. We were we literally, at one time, were on the syndication 11 and 13s. We were on ABC at the same time. We didn't wait to syndicate. We just were there. And we were doing uh, French cartoons. We would do the line so they had the timing. And we do them in English, and they'd change them to French. Wow. So we mm-hmm. were big, rolling. Huh. Uh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. My boys found out what I did for a living. They thought I just sat around at home and did funny voices. They didn't <laughs> know that I, Ed Asner was my neighbor and Brad Garrett's a buddy of mine. And Rob Paulson would come to the house and he'd sing the uh, country song cappella. And, and they they grew up thinking, mm-hmm. Oh, I guess all men skate and sing and are funny. They didn't know they were kind of <laughs> angry when they go dad, Uncle Ed, he's an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody went to Blockbuster and saw his, his picture, and they they just go to his house and swim in his pool and play with his Grammys <clears throat> or Emmys. <clears throat> you know, they didn't know, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, what was it like getting to reprise your role as Krang in the 2012 series on Nickelodeon?
2: Easy peasy. It's like tying your shoe. I mean, I did, when I did it, I threw my neck out twice. Because I would do this. And oh, oh. You know, when I come back from vacation, relaxed and didn't hold the same tensions. Right. And uh, I never hurt my throat, though. I never did that. You never do anything with volume. Volume can kill you if you're not used to the voice. Right. Mm. Uh, so but doing it again was was a joy because it's so easy it's uh you know you don't think about tying your shoe you just jump exactly, in, yeah
1: it. right exactly definitely yeah i remember watching that series a lot growing same, up so yes
0: same so now aside from uh tmnt you uh lent your voice to- you're lent your voice to various characters on G.I. Joe or Real American Hero. What was it like working on that?
2: Horrible. He caused the strike. <laughs> Wally the director. He would keep us for eight hours. Sometimes longer. On one show. That's why we got it down to what is logical, about four hours to do a cartoon show. But he would take and retake. We actually played vocal golf. So we'd be in the studio, the booth. Yeah, mm-hmm. he would be in the control room. And I'd have a line like, Watch out. Watch out, Joe. Here he comes. Something simple. And I'd look at it and go, Okay, I think it's a par three. Meaning it'll be three takes. And sure enough, it'd be a par three or a bogey par four. Four takes in the same freaking line. Oh, <laughs> drove me nuts drove all of us nuts because we're all packed in this booth
1: hmm. yeah
2: definitely mm. yeah
1: and, and it's um and yesterday we actually did um talk to him um, on um, michael bell who worked on that show as well yeah he, duke yeah, he
2: played duke on that i think yeah he was, yep. he was in the saddle he did so much work and he's a, a funny guy because he's nothing like the characters in play and uh he he always said it's like Mr. Potato Head. I just pull up a nose, <laughs> right. put a different nose on different ears, and that's it. <laughs> and I, when I was in Australia, I was teaching at a university, and they want to know what I did. And so I'd I'd be in there besides theater, and they go, oh, "What you mm-hmm. did today? I said, "Well, I did a commercial on you know what for?" Well, it was a Walter Brennan, and they go, "Oh yeah, give us a taste." And I went, "Well." Gee, he's got a low voice and a high voice. Oh, yeah? Well, what's he, what are you doing with your throat? They insisted on me breaking the character voice down to its six elements. There's no more. And as God would have it, I, I did something. I created a way of teaching. There were no teachers then. In the late 70s, there were one, two, three. There were no teachers. But I found a way of teaching what I did. And that that has remained with me my whole career, teaching and performing.
0: Huh. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, awesome. The six are pitch, pitch characteristic, and that's, is it dusty? Is it gravelly? Is it winsome? Is it, you know... Pitch, pitch characteristic, tempo, is it faster or slower than you? Placement, is it in the nose, is in the back of the throat, is in the chest? You know, where the voice seems to be coming from? Yeah, it comes from your mouth, but this sounds, you know, hi, how are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah. It separates, right? right? So, pitch, pitch characteristic, tempo, rhythm. Um... Rhythm. Rhythm is something that comes up over and over again. Like if I do my Western Sheriff like that, if I don't use a rhythm at all, it's just not not, uh, distinct. But if you da-da-da, well, it it comes from him trying to like people. He didn't want to put people in jail. So I did the Western Sheriff with that kind of rhythm that reoccurs. So it's got to be there. You know, it, it really <laughs> it really points to the kind of person they are. And this the the last one is mouthwork. Is that, does he have an ass? Does you know uh does he have a sibling ass? Does he have a lateral ass? Um, does he have a dialect, and, you know, so you pop on a dialect, the same character. If I take this guy, hey, you kids can't be in your malgarch, and I make him Irish. Or I bring him to Scotland or down in the upcountry. And then I'll, I'll make him a Coltony or I'll make him Russian. You see, it's the same character. I just throw in a different dialect. Yeah. So there, those are the elements. And that's how I mixed and matched and could define people's work.
3: So another show you worked on was Centurions.
2: Yes. Max Ray and Dr. Wu. Oh, that's that. <laughs> really funny. Uh, only then <laughs> could you do Dr. Wu and be, you know, a finger popping white guy from Seattle. So uh, I think, I don't know if they were cheap or not. Uh, Michael Hack directed it. He's not a cheap guy, but above him, there was somebody that was frugal. And they say, "Okay, who's light on a contract?" Remember, they got three for the the price of one. So I was Max Ray, so I was low, right? I got to tell you a, story, a funny story about that. And he said, "Who's light on the contract?" So I raised my hand. And said, "You're Doctor Wu." And I said, "Doctor Wu, I don't remember, I don't have an Oriental dialect. You do now." <laughs> so I do. Doctor Wu It was bad, bad, bad. You know, I only knew one. Asian guy and he was probably Japanese. He was loud. Mr. Friday. you're all ready. So I played him loud and people the, the cast would leave the studio when I did it. This is back oh. in the 80s. They didn't want to hear it. They'd go, okay, let's get a cup of coffee. Pat's going to do Dr. Wu. <laughs> Funny how I got that character. Um, going back to GI Joe, uh, I came in one day and did something and went on a mission. I was Ace, the fly guy, right? And with my voice was a little more sarcastic. And uh, I heard characters say, "Well, how's Ace?" And the woman B.J. Ward was playing said he didn't come back. I went, "What?" And I looked through the script. I died. They didn't even tell me. It killed my character. So the audition came up for centurions and i was in seattle so i said well i'll use ace because he's dead i'll use the same voice so i did kind of a cool guy you know like that meanwhile Neil ross and he's kind of close to me a little higher in a tenor than i am his voice he goes well i'll see uh i'll use uh, ace he's killed so pat won't mind we both got cast i got a call from the director, Michael said, "Hey, one of you guys has to go because you got the same voice." I said, well, "Wait, wait a minute. Let me work at it." So I got Neil over my office, and he went high, and I went low because he could go. So it's one of the first heroes I ever played. It was low, and I went to the director and said, "I'm I'm in the basement. This is as low as I can get." And poor Neil, he got over and over again during the. Uh, 120 shows or whatever higher the Ohio. he was like burning five in space the poor guy had to go so high but that's <laughs> that story we didn't get fired <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so now w- one of the shows where you got uh, to voice a lead character was voicing uh, Denver in Denver the last dinosaur what was that like it
2: was strange it was fun but um First of all, uh, uh, I was working for a company that I'd done Sable Rider for and something else. And they uh, cat they said, okay, do this. Uh, you're, you're a dinosaur. Well, I looked at the dinosaur and, he, and uh, oh, well, he, kept, uh, he had no lines. He just had sounds. And the director said, no, make him lower. He's big. I said, no, his body's big. His head's little. And he went, well, that makes sense, right? So I got cast. Now, because it was all sounds and reactions, wow, <laughs> you know, stuff like that, I had to go by, the only time I ever did it, I went by the storyboards. And I'd circle what I, when I was in picture and, you know, that's how I did it. I went through the storyboards. I didn't have a script. But I enjoyed it. I'm working with good people, people like cam clark who's my my yeah. cousin oh, yeah. no yeah he's my cousin and uh uh who say you know uh, wonderful actors it's a good definitely. show good show to do yeah definitely
1: yeah so you also got to work with Howie Mandel on his show, Bobby's World, voicing the character Meeker. What was it like to work with Howie Mau- with himself?
2: Well, Howie was really funny. You know, he still had hair in those days. He didn't shave it all. And I didn't know that he had a germ thing. He loved what I did. I add a little bit a lot. You see, I was Meeker who was a skinny guy with a big voice, like a mall guard. And there was another character named Smerd who was fat, but had the character and he was higher. They they got Rob Paulson to play that, yeah. but they'd always yeah. mess it up. They'd always give the big voice to the big guy. And the, you know, and mm-hmm. so we always had to fix stuff, but, uh, something happened during that show that was unique they'd messed it up and when we got in the booth just the actors in the booth the control room is with the director and the engineer and you know clients and they said well they messed it up you're gonna have to switch roles well we had already written our ad libs down And so I ripped off my ad-lib. We learned this at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We would write each other's ad-libs just for the fun of it. So I ripped off and I passed it down the line. We were in a line. And I passed and I said, these are Rob's ad-libs. And it got down to Frank Welker, who was seated next to uh, Rob Paulson. And he got the note and he started laughing and crying laughing so hard where <laughs> else are you gonna get your ad libs written by some other guy it's, it's <laughs> absurd and uh jim stall and jim fisher both guys from second city wrote the scripts very very uh clever show and uh he came in and uh the director looked at jenny mcswain Uh, looked at the script and said, well, you have no lines for Meeker and Smerb. And one of them, Jim Stahl or Fisher, said, yeah, we don't write for them. And the director, well, why? He goes, because they ad-lib anyway. They're in in every show. They're tooth fairies. They're mole guards. They're this or that. They put them in every show. But it was our ad-libs. So every show I did, I ad-libbed. I wrote them down. I mean, we said, right. you know, we're in a card game, so let's make card jokes, you know, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it, was, it was easy and fun.
1: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. yeah Howie, he's, he's great. Oh, yeah. He's I love Howie.
2: he's a wonderful guy. Although oh, uh, I did bring him a picture of my boys getting their earwax burned out with linen. You know, they, there's a way you can get earwax out by lighting a linen. And yeah, he was like appalled, just appalled.
0: <laughs> so, so now, now another thing I uh, briefly brought up in the introduction was uh, filling in for a uh, Tim Allen voicing Buzz Lightyear on a few different uh, Toy Story projects. Can you talk a bit about some of the Toy Story projects you've done filling in for
2: Tim? Well, it was one of the most franchised or done. Boy mm-hmm. lines ever. Oh, yeah. Now, Tim Allen was mm-hmm. very, very busy. He had a show on TV to the Disney, and he was just busy. So I got a lot of work. Now it's a funny story about that. And of course, to infinity and residuals, you know. And yeah. for- <laughs> I protect the universe. From the evil Emperor Zerg, sworn enemy, enemy of the Galactic Empire. If you scrape away that, here's where my training came in. He was doing John Wayne. I protect the uh, I protect the innocent from the evil Zerg. I'm trying to think of a line. Well, he was doing John Wayne, so I would do John Wayne. Because I don't sound like Tim Allen, even when I do no. So I was close enough to get the role. Now, here's the funny part. All the classics, Goofy, Mickey Mouse, Minnie, all of them, right? Mm -hmm. Made 800 bucks a pop. If you had one line or a script or whatever, 800 bucks. So um, I'm going to do a lot of work with Woody, right? Woody the Mm -hmm. cowboy, Mm -hmm. right? Tom Hanks. Now Tom Hanks was busy, so he got his brother, who sounds just like him, Jim, to do the role. Now I f- I signed a favored nations contract, and that means you can't get more than the other guy. You got to get the same amount. Ah, but Arlene Thornton, Jim Hanks' agent, figured out that we can charge him anything we want because. Of, because Tom said only you can use my brother Jim, just Jim. So Jim got twenty seven hundred bucks, and guess what? I had to too. I made, oh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year because I I was paid so much, and they would take uh, to infinity and beyond, and they would take that and put it in a little toy, to and beyond, right? So I didn't even have to come in. Sometimes I'd be in Hawaii, and my agent would call, and she would hum the, uh, the money is nothing. The checks for free. I want my MTV. You know that song, right? Mm-hmm, the yeah. checks, she'd hum it <laughs> and yeah. hang up. And then and I went, honey, I made twenty seven hundred bucks. So over and over and over again. So it was a delightful experience. Yeah. So, yeah. And then sure. when I went uh Jim got more money, I went huh. to the. Uh, yeah well for some reason you know, they, after a certain amount of time I yeah, went yeah. to um, the vice president of Disney character voice and I said should I uh, get more money then and he went look uh, if I were you I wouldn't mention it it's not a marriage made in heaven see it doesn't stop you from being fired right, right. fired you can get another guy and pay him the same amount of money as Jim doing Woody but I said, yeah, fine, fine. So I went a couple years, uh, and made 2700 rather than what 31 or something.
3: <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Mm. That's awesome, interesting. So, another Disney project you also got to work on was Monsters Inc. Some background characters, Blobby and Ricky Paluski. I think I pronounced it right, Paluski. Yes, I, I did. have
2: no idea what those characters are. Uh, I I played uh, one character that was a big eyeball, and had a line, "Hey, you wow. kids, get um, out of my Lord. That was all it. I remember from Monster Inc. But I mm. want to tell you a, a story about another Disney project, a series called Tailspin. Oh, I love uh, tailspin. Yes. tailspin. Yeah, me too. And mm. I played uh, uh, Wildcat, the ignorant but lovable Wildcat. Well, he had one say, "Blue is just a wrench a banana." I forget. Oh, look, there's a new man uh, island on the map. No, it's guacamole. <laughs> 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 when they were casting it, they were they had a difficulty uh, casting it because everyone he had a prognathic jaw, so it was big, and he looked dumb. Well, they everyone came in and did this kind of thing, right? And Baloo was low, he was Ed Gilbert, You're right? And it wasn't working. So I thought, well, what if I made him naive? So he's kind of like naive but he's really high, like a child. Now I'd grown up around deaf people. And if you heard a deaf person without a toll, he's kind of like a Waka. And he, they're innocent a lot of times. So I did, that's where my innocence came from. I auditioned, got the role, did it, got paid, everything fine. About 20 years later, I get a call from a psychologist in New York, psychoanalyst, saying, can I put you in touch with a person with, um, on the spectrum, uh, really strong autism? She's really, you know, right. we're all on the spectrum, but she was right there when they called it autism. And she's a big Wildcat fan. And so I, to this day, I have a wonderful relationship with uh, this gal, Morgan. And she, she, I call her Morgie Cat. She calls me Uncle wild cat. And get this. She'd go to public schools because they had resources in, the, in, the, in those days for autism. Mm-hmm. Be Humiliated all day, you know, dealing with the you know, the bunkies at school, come home, turn on the TV, and she'd see Wildcat, who she thought was challenged. Because that's where I got it. I got an awful challenged person, right? That everyone loved. Now, Uh that's what makes uh, what you do important. It's like Bob Hope. He wasn't that funny, but he was out there entertaining kids that died the next day. And I realized, I mean, the amusement business, amuse means not think, Ah, uh, muse. But once in a while, you get a, a more meaningful journey. And I had it with that show. Uh-huh. 20 years later, go figure. Now, if Disney would have found out, I'm going to do a character that's based on a challenged character, a deaf person, they would have gone, no, no, no. no. But they didn't know. Just like I told you before. They they don't know where I get stuff. And I'm not (laughs) going to tell them. Right, yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) So
3: there was another very short-lived series. An animated series of Stuart Little you did. Yeah. uh, Portraying the role of Falcon. Very greedy Falcon at that.
2: Did you see it? A little bit of it. Well, then you know more about it than uh, I do. Oh, I didn't hmm. see it and I and I remember doing I remember nothing. Uh, by the way, some of the best uh, things I have are like mistakes. Like they said I did a Jetsons and I started in 1965, you know, like when I was 16 or something. It's not true. I did a Jetsons, but it was later. Later on. But yeah. uh, it was always good to get... Uh, get somebody interested.
3: Perhaps maybe it was the 80s revival because I I know it did come back in like the 80s, like yeah. 80, 85, I think it came back.
2: So. Right, right. And I did uh, Skyhawk Mike, Judy Jetson's boyfriend, you know. <laughs> but it was great because I worked with Dawes Butler and he had had a stroke by then. And so mm. he sort of had to work it out like a dance, the line. Yeah. And uh, he played Elroy, the kid. Gee, hey, Dad, where's Astro? Mom, what's for dinner? You know, that kid. And I went up to him, and I said, Dawes, how do you do that? You're, what, 80-something? And you can do a kid. And he said, well, Pat, everything's new. He did everything like he, where's Astro? Like he's never not been there. He's never had dinner. What's for dinner? And that's how he did a kid. And but Huckleberry Hound, he did his in laws from North Carolina. Huckleberry Hound, he did that, boys. <laughs> was quite an interesting guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you also worked on a number of Scooby Doo projects. Can you talk a bit about working on those?
2: The undersea villain, the blue scarab, the skeleton man away. Now the plane is mine uh, when we would guess there were always four or five people um, Casey Kasem Frank Welker a couple gals were working on the show and so the only guest was the villain who turned out to be a newspaper editor or something so I did a lot of villains maybe I did four or five or six of those shows same stuff you know You try to – when you do an audio book or a cartoon or anything, if the red herring – you know what a red herring is? Yeah. It's it's a – it describes who you think did something when they didn't, a red herring, okay? If the red herring is obvious, you make it more subtle by just going through it. If the red herring is really difficult, you can play it. And that, that's what you do with a film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nobody yeah. knows, but when they find out they did it, the audience goes, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Because you know, you ever see something and you go, What? Are you kidding me? He did it? How would I know that? <laughs> you got to know it. And you go, Well, wow, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, now, going back a bit
0: uh, to your work on uh, Nickelodeon, you uh, voiced a couple characters on the show, uh, Chalk Zone. If you remember, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: What was the show? Chalk Zone. Chalk Zone. No, not really. I mean, I, I remember doing a working uh, – remember the director, but I don't know who it was. Hmm. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sorry. Chris Zimmerman. I remember going to Nickelodeon and doing Chalk Zone – And it wasn't just Chalk Zone. It it actually was uh, something Mandy in the title. Something in Mandy.
0: Oh, uh, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy? Yes. Yes, I did that. That was another wonderful show, yes.
2: Oh, yeah. Richard Horvitz was on that. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because I, for some reason, I'm talking about that show because I don't remember the other. I went into the control room and watched him work in the booth and he was going on with something, and he went off script, and he would just go, right? And he finished, and the director said, I think he went to Aunt Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> uh. he, he went so far. I just love that. The freedom. And, and to take the freedom and take it to someplace no one else would take it. I love that.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Now, aside from working as a voice actor, you also teach voice yeah. acting. Yeah,
2: I what? Like? Well, I teach voiceover, all aspects, because you got to know everything to make a living. You of do course, documentaries, right. you do audio books, you do commercials, you know. And uh, Pat Fraley my name, .com, has got everything there including over 50 free lessons. If you go to free, you can watch and hear lessons. And then my home study courses, I don't do Zoom because you have to see who's nervous. And you can't mm-hmm. do that on Zoom. So I, they send in MP3s of the homework off a home study course, and I guide them. I don't nice. direct because everybody directs. I mean, everybody, you get a yeah. direct, they're usually bad. And you're trying yeah. to uh, do it and not get caught because they'll give you a bad direction, or they they go I don't know make it funny huh? you know they don't know what they're doing, so I, I try not to direct I guide, and uh, it does well you know I've got to uh, I I made something like an audiobook major and that's where they have five courses in a package and they go through them in an order. And I teach like a major. That's where I learned how to hack. I didn't learn in undergraduate school. I learned to enjoy theater and love it and all that. But they got really serious when I went to Cornell and got an MFA in two years. Man, it was brutal. But I'm not a brutal teacher. I'm forthright because there's there's nothing worse than being shined on. Like, oh, you're good. Yeah, really, you're good. But you're not going to hear, what were you thinking from me? That's more about teaching than learning. The last thing you want to do is have a nervous student. Because that's our biggest fear. Our, our biggest enemy is fear. No matter what. No matter what you do. When you're acting, fear stops you from responding. Right? Even Robert De Niro, he, he, he avoids fear, nervousness. He doesn't watch other actors act. He plays catch with uh, my son or other boys. He he doesn't want to deal with it because if you've noticed in these interviews, he's very quiet and shy. And he yeah. gets upset easily. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So overall, working in voiceover, what are some of the key things you've taken or learned most from working as a voice actor?
2: What have I learned the most? Yeah. Oh. Um, encouraged to be wild. You know, to go go where I wouldn't go following rules. That's the one thing I learned. Because I work with these brilliant people in mm-hmm. my life. And, you know, it all comes from this mistake. Everybody in voiceover is not tall enough. They're, uh, you know, they... They can't do this. They they're too old. They're too young. Something. They wanted yeah. to be a musician and they failed. Like Jim Cummings was in a southern band. He's the greatest voiceover guy I've ever worked with. Jim Cummings. Yeah. Smokey the Bear and Winnie the Pooh. Come on. Mm-hmm. I know. And he can act and he yeah. can read ahead and all these things. But he's a failure. He failed at one thing and that drove him into voiceover yeah and which he's
1: great
0: at what oh and i said which he's great at you know he's one of the voice over legends yeah
2: absolutely brilliant yeah i've never worked and i've worked with mel blank and all those guys everybody tex avery i i worked with so many people because i got them at the tail end of their uh careers they were working in, th- in the 30s when i came to uh uh, LA and they were in their 50s and early 60s when I worked with them and Jim is younger than I am I think by a bit I trained him once but he's just you know spooky good oh, oh yes
0: definitely so now we've uh, talked a lot about your work in the past but is there anything you're working on currently that you can share
2: no I'm not war- you know the the COVID destroyed getting together with people i'm in a ensemble cast circumstance being a cartoon guy everybody's there so you're in one room and uh, that doesn't happen anymore the last cartoon show i did I was alone like a video game where you're always alone it it was creepy and Mm. so that i'm not performing right now i'm teaching more and that's going great guns i love it Nice. Awesome. Nice, and also it? I'm old. You know, you get to my age and you stop working.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is.
2: You can yeah. sit there and, and be upset and go on Facebook and go, Look, they're teaching and I taught them and I'm better than they yeah uh, you know, come on. <laughs> Dig a hole. Moses <laughs> told the chosen people that left for uh Egypt uh, mm-hmm. on the way, he said, Do not grumble in your tent. And I always, hit the, I always get that. Don't grumble. Like um, helping my wife uh, move out of our house in Palm Desert, which is like, like Palm Springs. It's about an hour and a half, two hours away. Hmm. And it's horrible, you know, lifting stuff. And, and I had a dental appointment. So I came back to L.A. and I told the dentist, I've never been happier to go to the dentist in my life. It got <laughs> me out of real work. But I never grumbled. Even when they say, "Well, that was really," we got that out. I said, "Yeah, it's done." I don't say anything, and I never have. Even in cartoon work, people would be reviewing shows, and this is a shitty show, and oh, why do I have to do this? And then, and then, not me. No. Where's you know, the? If
1: yeah, cause if you're enjoying right? yeah. doing it, that's what matters, you know.
2: <clears throat> anything. Anything. You you enjoy it or you fake it. Sometimes you yeah. have to lie because it, it's horrible. But, you know, you find something to like about it. You know, I remember, uh, I can't quote him because it was oh, so horrible. But Bob Holt was a wonderful guy. He did uh, Incredible Hulk, my first regular series. And he played Hulk And he had surgery when he was a grape ape. Because he hurt his throat and they wanted him to scream. Mm. And uh, he, wow. And they said, Can you do that again? And he swore. You know, he's red faced and walked up away from the mics and he looked over at me and he went like that. And i like Bob and I was scared. And I came over to Bob and he said, Tonight. I'm gonna make a Dover soul sauce that make a dead man do something. I mean, I can't tell say what it is, but uh, then walk back to the mic and continue work. So he was thinking about what he'd make for dinner, just to get away from being angry. Tell hmm. me a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's
0: awesome.
3: Certainly does. Certainly does. So working as a voice actor, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you faced?
2: I don't know. Um, I overcame them so naturally, Matt, that, you know, um, it didn't matter that it was a mic or a camera. If you turn a camera on, I can tell a difference in my behavior. If you turn a mic on, uh uh-uh. I'm there, I'm doing, you know, moving my yeah. hands around, going, I told you so. Hey, <laughs> where are you going? On? You know, I'm doing all this stupid <laughs> stuff. Uh, and uh, so I was a natural for voiceover. And so I don't, I don't think of them as difficulties to overcome, unless you're inhibited by a microphone. Then there's trouble. Because nobody wants to hear inhibition or being careful. You know, they, they want performers. They don't want, uh, for example, when you watch a documentary, they don't want to hear the you know someone report, like AI, artificial intelligence. They want to hear someone that's alive, that's real, to some extent. Maybe they have a beautiful voice, but they're acting. You know, if they're talking about Kowalik, up the trees and what they do is they spend eight hours a day in the tree no they want they're up the tree and they spend about eight hours in the tree as if they're there they own the documentary and ownership is very important i teach uh narration on a documentary because they're cheap to do and there's a lot of them Hmm. but they got to do something they can't just have a good voice right (laughs) You know, I heard yeah. something really interesting uh, from uh, my buddy, Scott Brick, who does audiobooks. And he was working with Morgan Freeman. And he oh, wow. went to Morgan and said, you know what Morgan from the African-American guy that has a little voice? Morgan Freeman. He was in Shawshank Redemption, played Red. Does that bring him to some minds? And Morgan Freeman's a huge star. And he said, what is your greatest attribute? And he said, Gravitas, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning gravity to what he does. And then he goes, oh, look, I'm uh, sorry to bring this up, but what's your, what is your enemy? What's your least effective part of you? And he said, gravitas. So (laughs) having a good voice can kill you. If you think, oh, I have a good voice. I'll just give my voice, nah, next. That's why Woody Allen has a career. <laughs> Definitely.
1: Who cares? Who cares? Exactly. 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 So, are there any words you would like to say to those who watch you or are listening have been supported your work
2: over the years? Well, I'm grateful. Every day on this planet, I'm grateful for much. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly to God, I'm grateful to God because he orchestrates everything and until I understood I can take no credit for what I have and what I've done I can't take none it's a matter of God what he has done and so I'd I'd say be grateful to everybody but be grateful to God, not to a buddy or someone else or someone who's discovered you there was a reason Don George was in Tahiti when I was there and was discovered by Don. God planned it.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. So, if uh, if people would like to connect with you, well, what's the best place people
2: can reach you? PatFurley.com. If they go to the contacts, there is my personal email and my personal phone number. I'm available for, I'm, um, I'm available until i go to heaven and then i won't be so <laughs> they can call me email is the best way i think pat furley at pat at aol.com and it's in the contacts under patfurley.com.
0: nice and link to your website will, anything yeah and link to your website yes. will be in the description down below for people to connect with you so To Since we're about to wrap up, the last question that Matt's about to ask is a question that we ask all of our guests at the end of each interview.
3: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Of course, this podcast is called Jake's Happy Nostalgia Show. When you think of nostalgia, what do you think of? Or how would you define the word
2: nostalgia? I think of Sky King. And it was a TV show when I was a boy. And what nostalgia means to me is it's making something that wasn't that good better. Mm. It's God allowing time to go by. And you go, wow, licorice whips, they were so good. When, when you were six years old and you had the penny to get one, when I was a boy, they're okay. But <laughs> they're better. Things get better as you get older. When you look back. And that's nostalgia. Looking back on something not as good, that's good now. Better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, great words. Stand off. By the way, I uh, yeah, I love the movie The Fugitive. Right with the. Uh... That's my dad's favorite movie. Yeah. Oh wow! You know, any
3: any time that that movie is on,
2: he'll watch it. What what's the guy kind that of stars in it? Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. So I went back to when I was a kid and watched The Fugitive with JV, David Jansen on TV. It was boring and slow oh i had this dream oh the fugitive oh really come on and the guest star was robert Duvall, big deal but uh, you know that's nostalgia makes our life better yeah yeah exactly of course yeah of course awesome Awesome.
0: well pad thank you so much for taking the the time to do this this was great yes yes Uh, well, anyway, um, to all of our viewers and listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jake's yes. App Nostalgia Show. We absolutely yes. enjoyed our time with Pat Fraley. Yes, thank you so yes, much, for Pat.
1: Pat, it been a blast, and thank you so much for you, Don, no, for maybe part of our childhood, being part of our lives, and keep up your great work. And see what's next for you, Pat. Sure yes and and thank you for tuning
0: in to another wonderful jake's happy nostalgia show interview be sure to follow jake and the crew on social media and stream the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts and as always remember to keep nostalgia alive bye bye